Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the ML Chat Podcast. We are going to continue our series of interviewing multilingual learner educators uh, from NABE uh, at Portland this, this year. And today we're going to dive into and talk about what they wish they had known earlier in their career or right out the gate uh, that has made a big difference for them. So you're, you're going to love this. Uh, buckle up, tune in, and let's go. To get us started, we are going to go to New York and talk with Shakira and Kat Perez. I would say differentiation and scaffolding and learning how to do that in a classroom with students from different backgrounds, different learning styles and all of that. How to take one lesson or one theme and making sure that I have everyone in mind when I design how to execute a specific lesson or theme, I think, is something that I wish I I knew that it was important and also how to do when I first started as well. Yeah, and I I would say too, like, I think during the program we learned about universal design of learning. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't until I started, I learned how to kind of cater to all students and and learning styles and things of Mm -hmm. that nature, and Mm -hmm. kind of just catering to all modalities. And I feel like had I known that like earlier on, maybe just like incorporating that into everything I don't know, it's just been a a cool thing to learn and knowing that you can cater to a lot of people. When I first started teaching and comparing, you know, my my origins, because I was a preschool teacher before doing this graduate program, um, and like thinking about my origins versus now and learning about in this graduate program that we're in all about translanguaging and allowing Mm, like students to move through, yeah, to uh, be proud of their, you know, different languaging and moving through those modalities of languaging in a way that's not in a hierarchy. I wish I knew that the value of incorporating that in the classroom experience and how valuable it is to like a child's self-concept to prioritize that and do that in the classroom space or in in the, for us in the clinical space as well. Well, Tim, there is a lot to unpack there. Shakira and Kat Perez had some wonderful ideas and you can tell that the future is bright when we've got educators like this coming into the fold. Uh, what jumped out to you the most, you know, from Shakira and Kat? Uh, other than uh, other than being from the Bronx, uh, <laughs> that is uh, uh, near and dear to my heart. That's where I grew up as a teacher. So right. when I heard that, my my heart started to sing. Um, but to Shakira and Kat, thanks so much for uh, for sharing. Um, and Justin, for me, there were you know two significant you know themes that that emerged from. Um, from the comments and and certainly that have come up in our prior discussions and our in our Nabe series, right? So that's pretty validating. Firstly, um, I loved how it was described how the, the power of translanguaging and honoring all of the language our students bring to school and the impact on our students' self-concept. You know, um, and when I think about that, I you know it can be a little vague, you know, to think about say, a student's linguistic, social, and cultural funds of knowledge. Translanguaging offers a, a very tangible way, you know, for teachers to actually honor those funds of knowledge by creating the space for students to use their full linguistic repertoire in class. And we think about, you know, language as as a door, you know, to culture, right? And um, I just so appreciated the way that the very thoughtful way um, that our colleagues, you know, offer trans- translanguaging as as an approach for creating a classroom environment that that honors um, what our students know and are able to do with all of their language. 
Yeah, that that is so powerful. And I was wondering if you were going to talk about, you know, where that you get started in the Bronx too. How? Fun, oh yeah, what a fun connection. We're going to have to make yeah. even some more connection with Shakira and Kat. But um, yeah, one of the things that really jumped out to me as I'm listening. I mean, you know, the importance of translanguaging is just you know evident, right? As you know, the more and more we get in into this work and the more research that shows up, you know, we, we really learn so much about. Um, building on the language that students are bringing to the work. The one piece that I loved was <clears throat> them talking about, you know, taking one concept or one unit and tr and going deep with it, trying to use different modalities, adjusting it for the students that they're going to teach, and really just trying to differentiate for each student's <clears throat> learning modality, each student's needs, you know, each student's assets that they're bringing to it. And I just, I love that thinking because, um, you know, for teachers who are at the beginning of their career to be thinking this way is really powerful. And and I guess my question that I wanted to ask you, Tim, as I was listening is, you know, I remember talking with you about your early days as a teacher and you were just trying <laughs> to like keep your head above water. Like you didn't realize you were supposed to take like attendance. And when you hear, you know, these teachers that are coming in and they're talking like this and this is their perspective, what does that make you think, you know, from these folks and, and, and how difficult is it to differentiate when you're at the, you know, early? Yeah, I, I, uh, that's actually the first connection I made, Justin, as I was hearing was, um, I, I had a principal who, who shall go nameless. Uh, <laughs> that was my, my, my second principal, uh, uh, at my, at my school in the Bronx, my first school. And, um, he used to practically jump up and down, uh, exhorting us as, as teachers in a staff meeting to differentiate our instruction. You must differentiate your instruction. <laughs> and so, like, uh, you know, conceptually, you know, he was reminding us that we needed to differentiate for our students. But as a as a novice practitioner, I didn't yet have the the skill set to really know what that actually looked like. I had no mental model for it. And what I appreciate about how um, our colleagues went on to actually provide a framework for how we can actually think about differentiation and practice. So uh, using uh, universal design for learning, uh, UDL, um, you know, provides a, a framework to support, um, yeah, a framework to really reach our students, you know, where they're, where they're at. And, and it's that sort of framework that can help us, you know, through our lesson design to make sure that we're amplifying, you know, language and concepts um, and really pushing our, our students to uh, greater depths of knowledge um, while recognizing that everyone's going to have different entry point for those particular skills, concepts, um, and, and, you know, and language. And so, uh, again, to uh, Shakira and Kat, I really appreciate how you you specifically reference a framework to help us, you know, do something that's actually quite hard. <laughs> you know, the classroom of close to thirty kids. That's it's no uh, it's no small feat to meet everybody where they're at and making sure everybody gets what they need. That's right. That's right. And mm -hmm. and I, you know, I I just love that they're coming in with that mental model, right? That like it's not just you know somebody jumping right. up and down and telling them to differentiate, but they're able to walk in the classroom with, you know, UDL in their mind of, you know, universal design learning and being able to think about each of these students and um, try to understand them. <clears throat> I, uh, 
I have six kids, <clears throat> which is a lot of kids. And I will tell you, every single one of them is different. And I have a hard time just differentiating for my six kids and their needs and, you know, being able to parent them the way that they need to be parented. And I just recognize like to be in a classroom with 25 to 30 to, you know, sometimes even more students and differentiating is, is a, is a significant task. And it really does take, you know, experts, right. And professionals to really impact those students and drive, you know, drive the lesson home for each student in the way that they can take it and run and build on what they know and what they have. And I just, I, I love, I love this work and I'm just so grateful for, um, for our educators who are committed to differentiating instruction for students. This is great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just had a, a, speaking of mental models, I just had a, a picture of your family, six kids. It's like a basketball team, team with one person in reserve. Yeah, yeah, it's it's more like <laughs> you've a, always got one on the bench. <laughs> it's more like a circus, and and we're just trying to not have the lions eat us, you know. And, so and on one foot on a ball over here and stuff, you know. It's like, <laughs> um, a basketball team makes it feel like we're in concert in unison and all working on the same. Yep, everybody working together. I love it too. All right, next we are gonna go to Illinois, the Homewood School District, one fifty three where we get to speak with Damaris Woodbury, uh, an EL teacher. Uh, it sounds very simple and silly, but I, I wish I knew how important visuals were mm-hmm. to everyone, not just our English language learners. Yeah, just visuals and realia and how important it is to make things that students feel are abstract very literal and relatable and so not only are we teaching them the content but we're also teaching them the language to access the content and with science and social studies it's so important to build that vocabulary up and build up that background knowledge so we use a lot of visuals prior to delving into the unit to explain the vocabulary and describe the vocabulary and then with our K through second graders just a simple book on storytelling or the steps of a story having pictures and having them retell and use that oracy in reading is really important and so visuals are to me the foundation of everything. All right thank you Tamaris we love your your thought and your idea here about the importance of visuals and and kind of helping, you know, take the abstract and make it more relatable and more approachable for students. Uh, Tim, when you when you listen to Tamaris here and, and, and she's talking about, you know, the importance of visuals, you know, what are some of the best practices that come to your mind as far as how to use that, incorporate that in the classroom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many entry points, actually, you know, we think about you know, this comment, it's actually not terribly far afield from the from the prior comments we heard from uh, Shakira and Kat, and, and that is the notion of offering just a multitude of, of entry points. You know, you know, we offer students visuals and realia because of, you know the, the power of students making connection to their to their lived experiences. It's really simply it's it's an invitation for students to to share. Uh, the, the language, the skills, the, the experiences that they've had both in school and, and outside of school and to build upon the, those connections. And so teachers really uh, have this wonderful opportunity by offering visuals, by offering realia for, for students, students to bring in these you know, concrete connections to 
to then, you know, and, and I loved how she, you know, she said this, um, making the abstract relatable mm-hmm. and having that sort of concrete foundation of language and, and experience to actually draw upon when you do get into more, say, you know, abstract class concepts. Well, and especially with our multilingual learners, right? I mean, mm-hmm. typically they're, they're bringing language into that classroom or into this new environment. And an image is is a great way to be able to make that connection that you're talking about, right? And to be able to, you know, be able to draw that that immediate connection. And, you know, it's one of the things we were actually surprised by with Flashlight 360 when we kind of rolled it out initially. I mean, we had built it for the multilingual learner who was learning English. And uh, in the very first building where that we put it in, in... Uh, in Stansbury Elementary in the Granite School District, uh, the principal looked at it and he says, oh, well, you know, we're going to use this for our dual language too and put it into, you know, the the class where they're doing Spanish immersion. And here students were able to, you know, link, you know, label in their <clears throat> heritage language, speak in, in Spanish, write in Spanish. And it was just really neat to be able to then have them do that same activity in English. And the teachers were able to look at that connection be able to see how students were, were growing, where they were strong, where they had some room for improvement, where they could, you know, incorporate that into their lesson plans. And it was just, it was so interesting for us, but all of it came down to being able to have that, that visual, you know, that image that the students, you know, could talk to, speak to, use their language. And it just, it, it really did drive home that, that ability to connect and build on, on that student's experience and, and prior knowledge and experience it's a it's a concrete example right justin Mm -hmm. you know and and i think further you know again going back to the comment from shakira and kat the you know the reference to visuals and and reella also is a just a beautiful way to offer students the translanguaging space you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is using all of their language to make connections to you know, uh, as as Damari said, you know, these abstract concepts. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be in English, these concepts, but by offering a space for students to bring their, say, their, their home language into the classroom to then build upon that by making connections across language. It's so a love, great example, very concrete. Oh, so concrete and so, like, so mm-hmm. powerful. And I love how these are building on each other. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking, what, what if I'm in a district that maybe you know, maybe we're not talking a lot about translanguaging and we don't do a Mm -hmm. job of honoring, you know, students' heritage language, you know, in part because maybe we don't have the resources to do it. I don't speak Spanish or I don't speak, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the language is, you know, Chinese that that the student is coming in and it's harder for me to be able to honor that, that heritage language. You know, how what would you say to like that teacher or maybe that EL director that's just getting started, EL coordinator, they're just kind of stepping in, they'd been in the classroom, now they're trying to run a program and they're realizing how behind, you know, they are and how much work they have to do. Like, how do you begin that process of going, you know, from not really recognizing it, not honoring the heritage language, not going down the translanguaging route, you know, with students and helping them use both languages where do you get started in that? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thoughtful question. And 
Um, I hear this a lot, like a, like a reluctance to offer students the space to use their home language. And fundamentally, it, we have to understand that it's not about us as teachers, mm. that we have to create this space, right? We don't have to know all of the languages in order <laughs> to have a productive translanguaging experience, but rather it's our job in our lesson design to offer students the opportunity to show us what they know and can do. And by availing, say, uh, a great way to do this would be, say, um, uh, image analysis. I love using image analysis where um, I would often um, take a, 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 a visual that is somehow conceptually related to a concept we're going to, we're going to analyze as a class. And I put that on a big piece of chart paper, give students a, a designated color for um, a marker and just ask them to, to mark up what they see in the image. Mm-hmm. And basically what you get is a just a beautiful semantic map of all of the connections students are making to the image, irrespective of the language. You know, when I think about my former classroom, no, I, I, I <laughs> yes, as a Spanish speaker, I could, you know, I could, you know, um, support my students with like discrete connections between English and Spanish, but my French proficiency isn't good. Certainly my Wolof uh, proficiency wasn't very good for my Senegalese students. And heck, I, I, no, I, I didn't speak Mandinko, Jula, or Berryfort. Mm-hmm. And so all, all this to say is that it's not on us as teachers to know these different languages, but rather avail the space for students to make connections um, you know, between their language. And so image analysis is a really great way to do it. Um, quick writing is another, you know, wonderful way to encourage students to make connections to their to their home language, um, and and of course there are you know, even more concrete ways to do it with say um, Freyer models are are a great way for students to analyze vocabulary with a multilingual lens. I love everything that you just said, but the thing that I love the most mm. was when you said. It's not about you as a teacher, no. it's about your yeah. student. Mm-hmm. And once we put the students at the heart of the matter, well, mm-hmm. of course, translanguaging should be a piece of the process, right? Of mm-hmm. course, we want to build on the language that these students bring, you know, to this, you know, to their journey. This is not our journey. This is not my journey. This is their journey. This student's journey to learning English, to, you know, to, building their knowledge and understanding. And frankly, we want them to build their, their heritage language more too, right? Like that's, you know, the worst thing would be to, you know, learn English and fade away on their, on their native language, which we. But that in a sense is a shift, Justin. Right. I mean, you know, I started as an ESL teacher, you know, 20 plus years ago and um, we didn't talk about that. And, and in fact, we, you know, the discussion was how to, you know, create like an English rich environment. And, um, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of that instruction was subtractive. You know, as a as a school district leader, I interview families all the time that tell me about the the adverse impact of the ESL programming had on them as as students. You know, and now their children are in additive bilingual programs or in integrated ELD programs that really flip the you know flip the script, so to speak. But you know, it really runs counter to the mental model that our families have for having isolated experiences and, you know, during their ELD time. 
And well, you just need to you know, like that parent, mm-hmm. right? If you're yeah, that parent yeah. and and you grew up where you know the school system was trying to kind of take away your Spanish, if you will, and here mm-hmm. you're trying to pour it into your student, or you you might be a little confused, not knowing exactly what the right way is yeah. to approach, you know, educating and raising your child, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and so when we when we call out translanguaging, you know, specifically, I, I really like to offer it as like, it's not like a moment in a lesson, but you think about it as a multitude of moments. It's really a, a, a biliteracy practice that encourages our students to make these connections. Oh, that's fantastic, Tim. That's great. Hey, thank you, Tamaris, for sharing such a, a thoughtful idea from Illinois to get us started and, and kind of talk it through that. I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next, we're going to go to Connecticut, one of uh, the first school districts that I worked with actually up in the Northeast in Meriden, Meriden, Connecticut. We're going to talk with Kat Magazino. I think uh, letting students talk, really inviting a culture in the classroom where students can talk, where they can collaborate, where they can bounce ideas off of each other and build language based on differing levels of English language proficiency or whatever the target language proficiency is. Wow. Thank you, Kat. I love that. I love your energy and I love that you're talking about letting students talk. Um, building a culture of collaboration. You can tell like she just oozed passion and energy around that, Tim. Um, My question for you is how do you just let students talk and it not become pandemonium? Mm. (laughs) Pandemonium. (laughs) I like that because it's often the the, the thing that, uh, you know, certainly are what I, what I hear from colleagues and feeling some, um, uh, how to say like hesitation around like, okay, like, (laughs) Right. How do I take myself out of the, the center of, of, of the dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. And really uh, compel our students to, to, to talk. And I really like to think about this in, um, it, in a, it through, the, through a lens of task design, that it's not just a free-for-all, right? But it's offering students quality prompts, a quality structure, and then something to actually do with that talk. Um, and Justin, you might remember that um, a number of weeks ago at the start of the summer, I got to participate in a, in a week-long institute with Aida Walke. And um, uh, it was a, a week-long you know, workshop on interaction, on quality student interaction. Oh, how could I forget, Tim? You came back mm-hmm. glowing for like the next two weeks, I think. So, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I and I'm still kind of riding that wave, you know, of the, just like the the excitement, you know, around um, high quality professional learning, and, and I felt particularly engaged by by having a, a a framework that you know a framework to offer students space to connect in a meaningful way. And of course, developmentally, that's going to look, you know, different, you know, at, say, the primary grades in the elementary between the, you know, say, you know, grades three through five in an elementary. And then certainly it'll look different um, as our students grow through middle school and high school. But fundamentally, it's really a question of who's doing the thinking. And, you know, Justin, I like to think about this oftentimes as like, 
almost like uh, traffic, like the traffic pattern in class. You know, if the traffic pattern is such that, you know, the information goes from teacher to select hands in the air, you know, <laughs> it gives an awful lot of time for students to fade into the background, right, and to, to tune out. Right. But rather, what my experience and you know with Aida Walkie and, and QTEL offered me was just like a, a a a new framework to think about how we can use quality prompts and routines to pass the thinking on to the students that collectively, you know, students are are building new understanding. So you know maybe it's you know opening the lesson with say an image analysis. Students are contributing, you know, contributing their, their thoughts in, in, a, in, a common, in a common space and a common image. And then they share those thoughts with partners at their table. And then the table comes to consensus on the things that they want to share with the rest of the class. And then I offer my students a routine like novel ideas only in which every table is responsible for sharing the collective thinking that they generated from uh, from the prior task. That is, you know, what I learned in the in this institute is that it's really about these sort of iterative cycles of students you know, generating ideas and then contributing those ideas for the you know, benefit of the class. It's it's really kind of a a, a collective um, a collective you know learning frame, right? You know, you're welcome, everybody, for that framework and that model that Tim just gave you. <laughs> that was amazing, Tim. I love how you 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 know that you know here. I know that I know it's a you know it's a big part of your thinking and that you know it's near and dear to your heart. But like, you know, clear intended learning. Like you just went through and built that framework, and each of those activities builds on itself. You know, and and that's how you end up with not having just chaos and pandemonium in the classroom. It's not a free-for-all, as you mentioned. It's, it's really, you know, it's really constructive because of the intention that's put into it. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that that's what Kat was talking about when she was talking about having a culture of collaboration. It's working on projects like you kind of just detailed out and, and kind of talked to. Um, there was one thing specifically that you, you, kind of asked the question and you kind of talked about it as a traffic pattern, Tim, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like who is doing the thinking? And as I'm, as I, do you mind unpacking that just even just a little bit more? I know you kind of use an example of, you know, if it's just from the teacher to the student or to the students and you're waiting for responses, there's a lot of room for students to fade into the background or fade in and out of the conversation or whatever it might be. Um, what's another way to think about about that. Oh, I got sure, sure, yeah. sure. Uh, how about ping pong? Ping pong's a really good way to think about it too. Well, I <laughs> love ping pong. Can you give us more of an example? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think we've probably all either from our own mental model, you know, from our own mental model, our own experience in school, or or perhaps you know we have the experience of of you know um, even in our own classrooms, right? It's I'm the teacher, I have a question, I ask the question to the class, select students in the class, raise their hands, and then they swat the answer back to me, right? And then I, and then I swat it back again with a question, and then the hands are up again. And it, it, it assumes a number, a, a number of things, that sort of that questioning, right? As, as firstly, that 
all of your students are participating in, in, a, in a meaningful way and, and say, we know that it's typically not the case. You know, in a classroom of, of you know, 26 students, there's an awful lot of opportunity to, to check out, right? Um, a dear friend of mine um, refers to this as, as, as expecting and creating the conditions for 100% engagement. Mm. And by, by taking away the ability to opt out, right? But rather, you're kind of leveraging the, the social impulses that our students have to make connections with their peers. Uh, that foundationally, this is about sociocultural you know, language learning, that our kids want to be social, right? And so it's about harnessing that through quality prompts, quality texts, um, and, well, quality routines, right? The recursive, iterative routines that encourage our students to kind of process, make meaning, share ideas, build on their schema, and then share that thinking for the benefit of the class. And we talked about the importance of routines in our last mm -hmm. episode and kind of went deep into that. But I can I can see that, uh, you know, in a, in a classroom, that's only going to happen, you know, what you're describing as far as, you know, the, the collaboration, you know, the collaborative conversations among students. Like that's only going to happen if a teacher walks in prepared first of all to like you know with that mindset and and not only that but like um i guess with the confidence i don't know i guess it, i just feel like it takes a lot of faith to to go down that road because teachers have to give up some control and they're having to kind of give up control of that conversation and and instead of them driving that conversation they they are they are transferring the ownership of that conversation to each of the small groups to then, you know, take it and run with it. Um, it's just an interesting thought, you know, for me, is that, is that, is that a good way to think about it? You know, or I, I really, yeah, I, I really like to challenge the, just the thought around I'm, you know, giving up control. Right. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I, I really don't see it that way. I, I see it more um, as, um, as a question of pedagogy. Mm -hmm. That by you know with with either through quality prompts you know uh, interesting texts you know you know relevant texts giving our students um, ideas to grapple with and providing some some guardrails around it that I really um, what was really clear to me as as a, as a participant uh, in this in in Aida's workshop for instance is that every person and every group was accountable at the end of the, of the task for mm -hmm. contributing, you know, you know, you know <laughs> contributing their thinking, right? That fundamentally there's a, a accountability there. Now, if you were to juxtapose that in the, you know, to the, to the ping pong metaphor, it's only that one student with their hand raised that is accountable in that moment. Right. What are the other students doing? And oftentimes as a, you know, as a, as a coach, for instance, something that I often, often do is I'll draw a map of just like a discourse map in the, um, of the classroom to point out like where the, you know, where the discourse patterns are. 
Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, you'll you'll find them going to either you know predictable voices, right? You know, when you think about say, um, you know, students that might be reluctant to share are are not compelled to share, right? And so they can very easily fade into the to the background, where while say more more eager <laughs> voices, you know, share their uh, contributions with raised hands. And so to to put a bow on this. Uh, the that prompting, you know, relying on on partner work, uh, small group work, consensus building routines. Um, these are ways that we can encourage all of our students to participate in a meaningful way, instead of say, you know, uh, you know, uh, an eager few students that, that are wanting to raise their hands and share. That makes a lot of sense to me. I really appreciate you breaking it down like that. Mm -hmm. I love that Tim. And next, we're going to hear from Kim Kaiser, a, print, a proud principal of Grissom Elementary from Houston ISD. I learned a lot in the GLAD training today, and it talked about just basically the visuals, the hands-on, and really making uh, bi-literacy just amazing for students by respecting and adopting their culture and uh, making systems strong so that you can support students. Tim, I love hearing a principal, you know, talk about the different strat instructional strategies, um, I, you know, th that might be used to support students. I, I just feel like there's been a big shift over the last ten years in what we're asking of principals, and and I I love it when they step up and they they really are that instructional leader for their building. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Justin. I and I think you know, for me, the you know, my primary connection to to Kim was actually. The, the energy in her voice, the enthusiasm. Uh, and <laughs> I am not surprised to hear that sort of enthusiasm, you know, uh, from a colleague that just attended a, a GLAD training. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, GLAD is, is, is really language rich, happy instruction. You know, in a, in, in a classroom using GLAD strategies, you'll often hear chants. You'll hear all voices in the, in the classroom, you know, singing, uh, making connections to um, to class concepts, to, to language. Um, it, it really is a, a very happy place to be, Justin. And so the the enthusiasm there, I think, is reminiscent of what it feels like to actually be in a classroom that is practicing uh, kind of a, a GLAD framework. I love that. And that's why she's the proud principal. So that's... That's why she's the, the proud principal. Well, but anyone that's interested in GLAD, you might you know, look into it, guided language acquisition design. Um, that's a, a effectively professional learning for offering your students language-rich learning. And, and that might be a good place to start. You know, earlier I had kind of talked a little bit about, you know, if you were a new EL coordinator stepping into mm -hmm. a role, trying to bring a, a, a department or a program into the, into 2023, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that sounds like that might be a, a good place to start maybe absolutely it's super tangible and if you want to find sort of a it really is a a pretty like content agnostic you know frame to offer teachers uh, uh, you know ways to to amplify their their lesson design right by by making it language rich and and uh, if you are interested in learning more about them you can uh, check out their website it's begladtraining.com 
Well, I am very impressed with GLAD. It has a, a really amazing structure to help with its shelter instructions, so I really wish that most of the educators are exposed to it, because it's, it's gentle and it can be applied to any language. And for me, as an administrator, I want to be able to support that work that my teachers are doing. So for GLAD, that's something that we're going to be working for next year to be able to train not just my bilingual teacher, but also because it's not just a program in silo. Like we need to be able to provide that same instruction, instructional strategies building wide so that everybody understands and can integrate with our kids because it's not just the bilingual kids. It's every kid. Jazz hands. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, 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 wait, I just absolutely loved that comment, Justin. Um, first of all, I should recognize our, our colleagues from the great state of Oregon and the Phoenix Talent School District. So it's so cool to hear uh, the voices of our colleagues repre representing Southern Oregon there in Phoenix Talent. And I don't know about you, Justin, but I was just uh, moved by the emphasis on a language-rich experience for all students. This is not just for you know, you know, bilingual students, but rather offering a language-rich experience for all students within a classroom and having you know, a structure for doing it, for having routines for doing it. That's right. I, and it really is a culminating thought, really, like for mm -hmm. a whole, everything we've we've been talking about today. I mean. Um, my favorite was just as we were as we were listening to uh, Erika and Aleda talk. I, I just loved. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw you dancing in your seat over there. <laughs> just love the excitement in your voice because, or in in your in your body language, just because you know. Frankly, like this is this is the work, right? Like this is this is the work we're on. You know, the mission that we're on. You know, to a large degree, is to you know provide educators with these frameworks <clears throat> and these mindsets uh, that just shift, you know, how the work is being done in the classroom. And so, um, I, you know, we hear them mention GLAD again, um, but really I just love that they're talking about, you know, creating language-rich environments. That's just awesome. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, in, in no way a, a counterpoint, mm -hmm. Justin, but rather I think just another way to look at it. Um, and, and that is really, you know, through the student experience right. and thinking about that really the contrast of, and, and perhaps this is actually kind of a theme throughout our discussion, mm -hmm. uh, you know, today is, is thinking about this through the lens of student engagement and how our students are, you know, participating joyfully by interacting, you know, with their, their peers, you know, in, in contrast to say, you know, more traditional modes of, of, you know, of, of a classroom where a student might be more, you know, passively uh, in, engaged in, in their class as a listener. But what about, you know, having a framework to design lessons that really makes, you know, students connect, share thinking and, and sort of, you know, collectively, um, you know, build new learning. And, and I think that that was certainly the, 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 you know, the connection I made to our prior comments and certainly what I, what I heard from our colleagues in Phoenix Talent. Yeah, most definitely. And, and I love that, you know, the, the, just this idea of the student, student-centered, you know, experience, right? And when I hear you talk about the joy of the student, you know, going on this journey, um, I love it. And, and I think that it's the truth, right? Like if we, man, if we can infuse joy into the students, 
uh, journey. I think it's a lot more enjoyable for our, you know, for our teachers as well, for our leaders. Like it just, it is more of a shared, you know, there's more spirit. Um, there's a, <clears throat> I was taught by a mentor a, a number of years ago about esprit de corps, the spirit of the group. And I think that when, when people are all, you know, when we're working in this way, there's a lot more collaboration. When there's a lot more collaboration, uh, there's a lot more joy. And, and I think there's just a, um, there's something to that, that, you know, frankly, I think if there's a lot more joy, there's probably also a lot more growth. Mm-hmm. And, and again, just, you know, kind of closing the loop here from some of the other themes that we've, we've heard come up this morning. It's really the, the intentionality, you know, required in designing tasks that, that connect students, you know, through, through, you know, relevant, engaging prompts. Um, that is, you know, you had, you had mentioned, oh, is it a free for all? Is it pandemonium in class? Like, how, how do I go about it? Uh, you know, Project GLAD, quality teaching for English learners, QTEL. These are basic, uh, oh, even uh, understanding, uh, excuse me, universal design for, for learning was another framework we discussed today as well. These are um, basically uh, pedagogies. They're, they're frameworks that we can think more critically about the ways in which we design tasks that engage our students in meaningful ways. So how do we take ourselves out of the center of that traffic pattern um, as the, <laughs> the, the, the air traffic control, so to speak, for the, for the classroom? No, we can you know, use prompts, we can use tasks that, that uh, connect our students um, you know, you know, in making meaning of new ideas and, and sharing their thoughts and, um, well, all with, the, all with the purpose of you know, building you know, collective understanding. Well, and I think that one of the big things, you know, we've talked about, you know, probably really in, in a lot of episodes is the, the importance of having these routines that we have in the classroom, right? Sure. Yep. And, and I think part of it is we free up working memory by jumping into our routine. There's less decisions we have to make. It takes less energy because it's just, it's what we do, right? And when I think about, you know, these frameworks and these structures, you know, for, from a teacher's perspective, like that's what that is doing. It, is it giving, you know, teachers the ability, it makes a few less decisions that maybe they have to start from scratch to create a process, to be able to create that language rich environment, to be able to focus on students and differentiate and do some of these things is because now they have this framework that, that they can, <clears throat> you know, plug in the different activities to, uh, to have a collaborative conversation that each task builds on itself, kind of like you walked us through earlier, right? Where if you don't have that model, it can be really paralyzing, I think, to try and figure out how do I build this out and just really overwhelming. And it's crazy making, you know, it can be really overwhelming if you don't have a pedagogy to rely on. Mm-hmm. And you know, if that pedagogy is glad, wonderful. That's excellent, right? Um, I, I happened to grow up, you know, under the mentorship of, of Aida Walkie, and I was really um, inspired by uh, lesson design in three moments. And, and on prior podcasts, you know, we've, we've discussed the three moments as a, as a lesson planning framework. But it's also principled in that it privileges student interaction that 
making sure that I have high quality prompts and making sure that I have interesting, relevant uh, texts to compel my students to, you know, to um, yes, make connections with their peers, but also make connections to new ideas. And, and so I think, you know, whichever framework you, you land on, just having one that has a reliable pedagogy to help you, you know, plan your lessons um, really um, ensures that your students will have a coherent experience in class, a highly engaged experience um, in class and making sure that our students are building uh, their language concepts and skills simultaneously. Well said. That's beautiful. And I'm not sure we can add any anything more to that, Tim. What an amazing day today. Like I have loved kind of go going through all of this, these wonderful conversations that, that we had at NABE and just really appreciate, you know, our colleagues and uh, and and folks that participated and, and lent their voice to this conversation uh, to be able to really help us you know, drive this forward. And um, thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for, you know, to Shakira and Kat and Damaris and Kat Magazino and Kim Kaiser and Aleda, Mark and Erica, Erica Ochoa. Um, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. And, and Tim, thank you. You know, I think this is uh, really appreciate your leadership and your inside and, and these ideas are hopefully, you know, getting out there to go impact, you know, our multilingual learners throughout the nation. Yeah, thank you, Justin. And thanks to all my colegas. Hey, thank you for tuning in uh, to the ML Chat podcast as we continued our conversations at NABE. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. The ML Chat Podcast is brought to you by Flashlight Learning. Flashlight Learning has helped deliver personalized feedback and progress monitoring to over 75,000 multilingual students nationwide. Flashlight 360 provides students with a platform to showcase their speaking and writing skills, helping teachers gain a better understanding of their students' individualized needs and inform instruction. Teachers are talking about the increased confidence and language proficiency growth they're seeing in their students. A recent study from Johns Hopkins School of Education demonstrates that Flashlight 360 had a significant positive impact on WIDA Access overall composite scores. To learn more, visit flashlight360.com study.